It's Open Mouth Syndrome with Elmo Kirkwood and Derek Bostrom. So, uh, last week we were talking a little bit about my brother. You were talking. I was fucking passing out. Anyway, he has been on, uh, there's an alternative to Twitter, which of course has turned to shit. It's called Mastodon. But uh, he's been on it since November. And my brother is like bombing it, reposting everything that he thinks is in his political wheelhouse that he possibly can. He's been on there since November and he's posted a thousand things. It's like he goes in, sits down, and he just goes through his feeds, and anything that interests him, he just reposts. Right. Trying to foster a brand for himself as like a, a left-wing echo warrior and stuff. And of course, if you repost that much stuff, you start to see the contradictions, where yeah. with one post, you're talking about how much you hate your opponents, and then with the next post, you're talking about how you're a bastion of love and forgiveness for and all. They're hateful. Yeah. Yeah, that shit started to blow my mind when I'd see people post these things that were like, oh, the first meme I remember was like, it has showed all these different brain sizes. Yeah. Like, then at last it was like, racist person, and it was a small brain, and I was like, y yes, I get this. I was like, but then it was like the punch a Nazi thing, and just all this like shit that was like advocating real hateful stuff. That's not a good example. But you but have to dis decide that someone's a racist and then assign a brain size to them. It's not science. It's, <laughs> and it's like, I mean, I'm trying to be ironic and say, look, turnabout is fair play, and now we're going to be eugenicists. But it's like, no, fuck turnabout is fair play. Turn your back on it, and that's fair play. I like that. Turn your back is fair play. <laughs> there was this girl we went to high school with who... Her whole deal was like that kind of stuff, like the super fucking neo-lefty shit. But she would go on and on about how she was a feminist, right? Yeah. But then post all this hateful shit about women who did feminism the way she didn't like. Yeah. These girls, you know, their sexuality, it's all based on something that a man, blah, blah, blah. It's like, so you're taking away their, like, you've decided that they don't think for themselves because it's different than you. Third stream feminism. Yeah, yeah, third, the third wave. wave feminism, yeah. And it's just like, well, that's all very well and good. And that's fine, except I don't like society. And the first thing I see when somebody is parroting what they've heard, I call it cocktail party talk, right? <laughs> it's just like you're finding out some, right. some very surface thing to say so that you can have conversations. Oh, straight up. People, they're like, they have just enough brain to like get like some like smattering of recitations that they can like force on you. But there's no critical thinking. They don't know what the fuck they're saying. Well, it's because this is a consumerist society. So <laughs> people are consuming their opinions just right. like they would be buying you know, an iPhone over an Android phone or something. It's just... And the thing that I always come back to with myself is that I actually don't give a fuck what their opinion is either way. But it's the only thing they have to talk about. And so it's the only way you can approach people right. is through their freaking mouths and their stupid ears. <laughs> I guess what I was going to say is what I come back to is when I see her deciding what, you know, she decides what other women think and says these hateful things about women. And I remind myself... Well, but what does your opinion about this person matter anyway? You don't, right. you have no chip in the game. Like, you don't give a fuck. You just find it irritating. And to me, I might find it hypocritical or contradictory, but that's fine and well, because I don't care what they think. They don't care what I think. So I don't engage. But when people are people with each other and you can get real with someone, that's good. The difference between men and women is the same thing between one person and anybody. So, exactly. for instance, whoever is the best driver gets to drive. <laughs> you know, that could be you. That could be me. That right. could be my wife. That could be anybody. Yeah, get in where you fit in. Like, be a team player, like, with all things. It's one thing I always really liked about being in a band. And one thing I really enjoyed about with this band 
was that it wasn't my band. Yep. And I wasn't told what to do, really. Kurt, every once in a while, hey, don't do this, or you know what I mean? Not much, really, but like... The main plan is for us to fit together. Right, and I really enjoy that. And so I've also really liked collaborating with friends over the years, like when we get together with our little computers and synthesizers and program drums and shit like that and make little pop songs or hip-hop shit or whatever, like, I love the group part of that because to me, it's really fun to collaborate well i also love doing shit by myself so collaborating is fun because it's like stepping outside of what i'm more accustomed to it, it means that you don't have to do all the work right i think the problem with co collaborating musically is that it just puts to shame all other form of humor interaction <laughs> so you know your average musician is going to find himself a little bit more difficult to interact with people on levels that don't matter Isn't as it much cool like with music you could jam with anybody and if you all know the same set of chords and you can play but right. like chemistry is chemistry like music is really neat especially in a band context where say there's one person who is writing the song like mm -hmm. here are the chords here's my melody but then you have these other people to flesh it out and go well here's how we turn it into a thing right this is how we support it you and this and, and then the the love thing kind of uh, kind of pops out because yeah. you can see how you're being supported it's so sympathetic and it's so sensitive that sometimes when you're dealing with non-musicians it, it hurts because oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're too you become too sensitive and you start to go i don't have a common frame of reference for this and i think <laughs> i think I'm, I'm feeling beat up so my very first i mean i had a couple friends i jammed with when i was you know early teens right but my first real band i started when i was 15 14 shit whatever with my high school band and man we just clicked right away it was fucking wild and i still play with one of the dudes my buddy ira like and he and i we clicked always like we kind of understood how to play off one another and then our drummer he was just fucking awesome for a kid so ira and i always had a really good connection so my my idea of being in a band was i was spoiled for my first band i didn't know like that it wasn't always just kick ass when you get along with <laughs> That's people. my problem. You get right? So going into my band subsequently, you know, when I first started actually trying to do shit as a young adult, it's a little bit different because I realized it's not always the same thing. And I have a real specific needs when I'm writing this shit. And I write, I write it all in my head. The song is done. So I put myself in positions where I was in bands where it was like, here's your part. Here's your part, right? That kind of crap, which is enjoyable to a degree if you like that. But that's not a... It's a project, right? It's a it's an outfit, but it's not the same idea as you banding together with people. So I was saying that kid Ira I played with back then, he played bass and I played guitar. Well, we play together still in a band. It's actually one of the coolest things ever because it's not the kind of music I really typically would play. It's kind of like indie rock stuff. And I play bass and Ira plays drums now. But he and I still are so linked in together that the shit that we are able to do as a rhythm section is just beautiful and like boyer he's in that band too he plays keyboards and it's gorgeous and we all write our own stuff does it have a name it's called size gamut do you, how do you come up with such a, a nice name as size gamut <laughs> because when it first started okay ira's about five six oh okay uh, I'm five ten boyer's like six one and chris is maybe six two and chris is really big together we ran the size gamut so that's where we came up with that name and uh it's just a really great band, honestly. It's Boyer and I, who don't typically play that kind of music or listen to it, we both agree it's like the best 
band we've been in because it's so natural. This guy, Chris Warmoth, he writes all the songs pretty much. Yeah. But we do as a band, it, they don't even sound the same, you know, because Boyer puts these beautiful color tones on it. And the bass shit I'm playing changes the way it sounds. And So you guys are basically just doing weddings and bar mitzvahs right now? No. So this is a funny band. We've, we've had start and goes for like the last decade. But right now, we've gotten back together just to tighten up so that we can actually record this stuff. Okay. Yeah. And you've been doing that for a while. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> Boyer's bought himself like a new mixer and a new interface and all these new mics. So now we can actually do the drums ourselves and stuff too. Like, so we can just self-contain these recordings. Cause before it was like, well, we gotta find somewhere to record the drums. So that's been fun. But I guess the point is that like, that's been a really interesting experience for me. Cause aside from playing in meat puppets, which is just totally organic and wild, that's been a really organic thing for me. And it's just so unexpected. And I really like that. And I've always loved being open-minded to that kind of shit. Like, well, I met Chris Warmoth, the guy that writes the songs and plays guitar. He's a bass player. And he's a, he's a way better bass player than me. He always acts like I'm so great at playing guitar and bass and shit. And it's just like, eh. It's what you said before. You you, you fit in. Uh, Getting where I fit in, yeah. So everybody's kind of playing different instruments. Well, well, Boyer plays keyboards for a long time now. But he's a guitar player. He played keyboards because when I started Kirkwood Dellinger, I was like, I'm starting a new band. And you're going to play keyboards in it. Then he played guitar and bass and keyboards. We all switch off. Everybody can switch around. So What are the songs about? Probably his feelings. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Yeah, I don't it's know. not my problem. I don't write the songs. I just write the tasty bass lines. They're cute. Like His lyrics are pretty good. They're clever. There's this one, though. I, I told him years ago. I was like, when we recorded that, I was like, there's this one line. I was like, I refuse to play on an album with those lyrics. Like, <laughs> they're just little too squirrely. It's like, you got to tighten it up a little bit. Yeah, you got to tuck those fucking, those uh, underoos in. He's an amazing person. You actually like this guy. He's very smart. Well, you know, we're always looking for a, uh, <laughs> a replacement to the drums and bass and the meat puppets. So, <laughs> Actually, everyone in that band is really smart. I like that band. Actually, every band I've been in has pretty been, been not idiots. You know what I mean? I've played with a couple drummers that were a little doidy-doid. Yeah. Well, drummers are uh, a special uh, yeah, breed of idiot. That's why you're the anti-drummer. That's right, exactly. Because you're an intellectual and an artist. That's the weirdest thing I have. It was actually in a band before the Meat Puppets, the Atomic Bomb, Bomb Club. Club. Didn't you guys originally call something Bastions of Immaturity? That was the Meat Puppets. Right. That was the three of us when we were playing punk rock covers. That's an amazing name. <laughs> Stupid Boston-style name. When, when I had my first punk rock band, my first band in high school, what happened is I'd been wanting to start a band type of thing and whatever. And there was this kid, was a new kid at our school, this kid Julian. And he was uh, he was in our grade, but he was a year older and he had an older brother and they'd moved here from Pennsylvania and he was a punk rock kid. But he knew a lot of shit, like because of his older brother and like right. and he had a band. And I went and saw them at this like <laughs> guitar recital that the junior high was having, and it was really good. And it blew my shit because I realized, oh, kids can have real bands. And uh what had happened is over the summer. He had, like, thought about recruiting both myself and Ira to be in his band and blah, 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 and nothing ever came of that. But that got us the idea of jamming together. And there was this kid, Tom Seeley, around, and he's like, I want to start a punk rock band called The Dissenters, and you guys are going to be in it. So Ira and him came over to my house, and Ira had never seen me play guitar, and I remember he goes, so, let's see what you got. And I proceeded to fucking slay and he was like oh so immediately he and i just started we jammed a couple times he's like i'll call up my old drummer brent and that's how my band started we immediately decided not to be in a band called the dissenters and we decided to call the band mr boot and i drew a picture of an upside down boot that had a mouth <laughs> and then we changed the name as a joke which stuck and i hate the name of the band that it ended up being which was dive bombers <laughs> 
<laughs> it was we watched this porno movie as like 15 year olds and this chick's like on like laying on her neck with the, like upside down with her legs in the air this guy is on top of her and he's taking this boner he's pressing it downward and, yeah and like and we're like dive bombing so for one week that's a funny joke when you're 14 15 mm-hmm. let's call the band that is a joke and i thought this is not going to be the name of the band and then those buttholes were like, we're keeping it. I'm like, oh, no, I hated it. So I'm always remiss to tell people because it's really good band. Hey, guys, are you tired of ads that claim to be targeting you algorithmically yet leave you vaguely unfulfilled as a consumer? Are the ads that intrude upon your content feeds making you feel not sufficiently seen? Well, maybe it's time you tried our advertisements. This is our promise to you. All ads for Meat Puppets and Meat Puppets adjacent products will be 100% of interest to all Meat Puppets fans. Swing on over to themeatpuppets.com store for information on how to find records, t-shirts, audio downloads, and other crazy shit, and see if you don't agree. Anyway, getting back to the hell that is um, the attempt to make a name for yourself on social media, I read a thing about how actors who don't maintain a following are losing out on parts. Oh, right, right, right. It's become the new, like... The new talent. Very interesting what, like, social media has become. Right when I got out of high school, all of a sudden, MySpace comes around. Yep. All of a sudden, MySpace music comes around. Yep. And when I first got on MySpace music, which was within, like, the first month, I had gone out to Austin because I'd sent Kurt a demo tape of songs I wrote, and he goes, dude, you can't just be doing this in your bedroom. And we went out there to Stuart Sullivan's studio, yep. and we did stuff, and it was mostly me. Kurt played some drums on a couple of the tracks, but I played drums on some of it. It's mostly all me. It was good. Yeah. It was really good shit. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to put this up on this MySpace music. And there was nobody on it. People would actually see it because it wasn't inundated at all. I made tons of connections like when it was like a fresh thing 20 fucking years ago. Do you remember mp3.com? Yeah. I've signed up for that and they sent me like free backpacks and shit. <laughs> well, you were like, you were the first person I knew that knew shit about computers yeah. and like internet stuff, had to meet puppets website. And like the second person I knew was the aforementioned Ira. Ira. Yes. yes. But he was a little computer duder and like taught himself to build them and all that crap. Like he's yeah. really into it. But he was also like online early and like, Right when CD burners first came out, he like got one and would yeah. do that crap and MP3s and this, that, the other. And then he introduced me like to the dark web way back yeah. when. Like, yeah, I got into web design because our manager, who we had after our first manager, when they had a web place and they would let us have a subsite, and I designed a subsite for the band and kept that going for a while until the Ryko reissues came along and they're like going, you need to buy me puppets.com. If we're going to like, we're going to put all this stuff out. We need to like promote it yeah. properly. So I started to throw down and bought that domain and then bought a actual host. And I started doing uh, websites as a freelancer. Really? I moved to Florida for a while and I was doing them for this dude. And it was so awful. Right at the time, my limited amount of knowledge was a lot. But as it got more complicated, I finally like, I hate this. I hate client work and I'm not going to keep up with it anymore. Ira got us a website for our band. So we had one like way the fuck back when and stuff like that. And I know that like people would actually see the damn thing. Yeah. And I was so checked. I didn't even have a computer, so I didn't know anything about it. But this was way before blogs or anything like that. But I used to put up fresh content every couple weeks, like a new page, just like a blog. Right. And um, so I was always looking for uh, new content, like news, as, as, as they used to call it, the news page. Right. For instance, one of the big news pages I had was when Kurt cut his hair. So I did like a little animation of Kurt's hair vanishing. And then when they tore down the hate house. Now, I don't know if you remember. I'm sure you do remember this, but it's like there's this piece of news in the 
the old New Times is. Yeah, that talks about how Kurt and his wife, Cinda. It's a picture of the hate house being torn down. It's like, this is a big week. John Vivier died. The hate house was torn down. And Kurt Kirkwood of the Me Puppets had twins with yeah. his quote-unquote wife. Yeah, I've, I've seen that, yeah. It was an amazing uh, week. Apparently. Oh, you know, another thing that's incredible is that there's a book of baby names, right? Yeah. And you can find this at Borders or anywhere like that, right? It's like cool baby names and they have different categories. And one of them is Rockstar's baby names. And there's my full fucking name in it. Because you're a rock star. It was very odd. Someone's like, sent it to me and they go, check this out. And I'm like, that's bizarre. Welcome to the club, media person. <laughs> you know what happens now is that, because I've paid uh, ridiculous money for some of these silly tattoos, yep. is that someone like, they'll end up in like books. Yeah. Because I know tattooers and they'll be like, hey, I got this book from my shop and check it out. That's on you, right? And I'm like, that's on me, yes. Or I'll meet people and they'll be like, I've seen your tattoo. I'm like, no, you haven't. And I'm like, no, look. And I'm like, holy shit. Is it your yes. tattoo or just the tattoo you had in a tattoo book? No, no, no. It's the ones that are on me. Pictures of my skin. Yeah. Disgusting. Oh, hideous, right? So anyway, uh, I remember setting up one of those uh, forums, the yes. chat board, very early on. It may have not even been in the 2000s. Was I discovered that there will be trolls who will take over my board and trash me and try to like shout me down. You mean um, flaming you? Yes, more or less. Like, I don't use that term so much anymore, but I remember back then that was... People who had their own Meat Puppets page who would come on and trash mine and try to like take control of the story of the band. And uh, I finally had to take it down. I think it was one of those deals where eventually it breaks and you don't feel like fixing it. So, so could you give me an example of what you're talking about here with this sort of thing? Anybody who knows me understands how easy a target I I am because I'll come out and say something that's somewhat snarky, somewhat funny, somewhat true. And you're diminutive in a way yeah, as well. The, well the, the output and the optics do make you a target. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I don't run my, my social media accounts or the band's social media accounts with so much constant, you know, junk. And I try to make the uh, social feeds to be art in and of themselves and not just promotional things which means that I'm a failure in the eyes of people who see the uh, social media as only a way of like getting laws, getting uh, follows and getting, I don't know what money, but you know, <laughs> I mean, when, when, when I came back around the, our social media stuff was like more or less non-existent. Oh yeah. It was, well, the webpage was all broken stuff. Yeah. It was totally fucked and there was nothing else. Oh, there was a, there was a Facebook, Facebook page. And then, was... you know, the other part of it is that our booking agent wants uh, control of our social media so that they can th throw ads on there and i'm like i'll do the ads i only want stuff that we do and and not just like janky shit and yet still everybody's a critic it's never good enough right no of course not but um we do have somewhat of, of a following and like chris went and hung out with our old buddy greg uh, norton last week Oh, that's right. Oh, right down the street from here. Actually. When he goes to shows and, and he take a selfie of himself, of some famous person, he just gave me the photo. I posted it and suddenly 800 people are like, that's the greatest thing ever because Husker do. I'm like, yeah. Chris is hilarious. We met the Huskers first time when we came through Minneapolis in 1982. Yeah, Minneapolis. Then the Meat Pots got a chance to, oh no, the replacements opened for us in Chicago in 1984. And they drank all the beer. And they drank all the beer. I've heard this story. And I was a big fan of Bob Stinson. You know, he's the only one member of the band I liked. I mean, their replacements were cool when there was this crazy fucker in the band. Is he like, the guitar player? Yeah, he was the lead guitar player. Yeah. Now, um, we met him 
in Boston. We were on tour, and this would have been 85. They was right at their height of their hype. They never really... Yeah, they never, like, blew out, like, the way the people thought they would. Or, no, no, they didn't. I'm a late, like, comer to them. I'm not a huge fan. No. But I do get it. Like, being older, I get it more. If I would have listened to it when I was younger, I wouldn't have liked it at all. It's like post-Power Pump. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's like big star shit. Exactly. The thing is that they put out a record, a cassette, called The Shit Hits the Fans. They caught somebody recording their band, and they... They took the tape away from the guy and then they released it as a fuck you to the guy in the world. <laughs> and it was like all of these crazy covers. Right, because they would wants... do like, and they would do covers and like half covers and just crazy right. shit, right? Sort of like kinda what like we would do. Guy, yeah, yeah. Kind of what we did, only they were drunks. Like serious, yeah. right? And um, I was really into it. My girlfriend was really into it. And um, in 85, they were like touring and I was really wanted to see them. So we ended up going to their show after our show in Boston. And I got photos of Kurt and Bob Stimson. And Bob Stimson is giving Kurt a kiss on the lips. <laughs> it was pretty cool. I was definitely tripped out because I thought they were the shit right at that particular moment. Right. And then um, they kicked him out. Anyway, um, I run, run our social media strictly. I mean, I'll do promotion. And in fact, I'm working on promotion right now for these uh, reissues that are coming out. But it's just like, it seems so soulless. And all you end up getting is, is money. <laughs> Not even that much. <laughs> right. I don't know. Um, you know, uh, let's just put it this way. The Meat Puppets are not Shania Twain. And we're never going to attract the kinds of people who care about that kind of stuff. Wait, did I mean Shania Twain? Who's the famous one? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. She just came out here. and It's weird that you just brought that name up because I spent last night listening to tons of her old stuff and reading about her on Wikipedia, even though I have before, like last night. Shania Twain, uh, Rabbit Hole. I like it, though, because she wrote all those songs with uh, Mutt Lang, who was her husband at the time. Her and Mutt Lang wrote like the biggest selling female albums of all time together. Well, you know, I was a real into the country for a little while. I got into... The modern country, basically from hanging out with my brother uh, in the early 90s, I got really into it for a while. There was a ton of them that I really, really liked. And our sound man, Davo, hated it. And he used to give me so much shit about it. When we did a show, this huge festival in Milwaukee. And I actually got to see one of those country bands called Ooh. Confederate Railroad. <laughs> it was great. I liked some other hits. And, then, and I like that stuff because it's raunchy and rude and not very uh, PC, as it were. <laughs> but um, So uh, speaking of things that don't go over well on the radio real quick, a few years ago, I was a guest on a radio show down in Tucson. It's like some indie station. Yeah, I remember that. And, uh, a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, uh, they asked me about some songs I might want to hear. And I'm like, I want to hear Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cindy Lauper. And a week or so later, I'm talking to the lady who's the host of it, who's a friend of mine. And she's like, oh, man, like our program director told me his heart died inside when he heard that song because it's like everything that goes against what the station's about and i told her i was like he should thank you and me for doing the only fucking cool thing a station like that could do then you believe your own hype that much of course they do you gotta eat your own shit every once in a while so you know how it tastes so you can pretend to know the difference but, i think that's uh, what radio stations are all about I, I loved it you're gonna give this person shit because she played a song that i wanted like what do you care you are a freak for that early 80s crap i fucking love it man some of my favorite songs like that song what was that those two that you recorded and released i did pat benatar's we belong and i also did uh the song anna Fried from uh, abba her solo stuff right right Phil Not, Collins, something's going on Bruce. yeah i love that shit one of my favorite songs ever is material girl by madonna i don't know i just like stuff like that so those are all songs from when i was a baby and a like little kid 
And I just like pop music anyhow, so. Yeah. Uh, once you become a professional, you realize that there are no fucking lines. Not oh, with, yeah. with people who like make music. They make music based on what they're doing. And they're all oh, the yeah. same. We just never cared at all. I was like. I like a song. I generally don't like an artist. Right, right. That's typically my thing, too. Like, some of my favorite songs are by people who I don't really know any of their other songs. Oh, my God. There's some, like, there's that one Genesis song. Well, little Phil is, is quite the drummer, man. Of all those like art rock bands and prog rock bands, like Peter Gabriel, he's just one of my favorite singers in general. I love that dude's voice. So him and that kind of band, it's like, oh, they got a real fucking singer. Like, holy shit. It's just so funny to watch little Phil Collins back there fucking doing crazy drum shit and then singing the harmonies and stuff. Like, as a talented little fucker. Brand X, all that shit. Oh, he's the drumming in Brand X is seriously sick, too. He's, I actually really, <laughs> I love his production style, too. Clearly, if you listen to a lot of the stuff I do, big, weird, gated drum sound yeah. and like the cool synthy shit and just like, yeah, I just like it. Works for me. Obviously, in the early 80s, there were a lot of us little bands who were alternative bands who were trying to come up and nobody gave a shit about us. And we hated the bands because the only way we would ever be allowed to play was if we imitated those other bands. So we were all against it and stuff, except for Kurt wasn't, you know? We were listening to Michael Jackson and Bruce Springsteen and Duran Duran, and we liked all that stuff, um, you know, on the radio. And another guy I really dug was George Michael. Oh. Yeah, I think even that was more than uh, Chris and Kurt could take, but I really got into it for a while. He's good. Yeah, his first two really, solo albums just knocked me off. This is really good. Oh, yeah. They were just kids writing songs. There was nothing more than that. Yeah, they had an image, and like, but the real thing was it's fucking music. They were plugged into a scene, and when you're plugged into a scene, it's like you can't see the forest for the trees. You can't hold those kinds of externals against an artist because pop music is a medium of marketing and hype. So you have to learn to separate the artist's musical desires from the horseshit that surrounds <laughs> all of them. And that's where our little trip comes in, because we all kind of get together in our own little towns and like, and then everybody sort of congealed into this one big amorphous pile of garbage, which was indie slash alt rock. And it became a worthless piece of crap once it became identified oh, as yeah. such. And then I'm and like, there's so many bands that cover Nirvana doing meat puppets. They're, they oh, cover yeah. our stuff through the lens of Nirvana. And it's always a little bit chagrinning. So as soon as I started getting older, the, the alt music became really soft you know what I'm talking about. It's like suddenly alt music is supposed to be played with toy instruments and played very, very soft <laughs> and not rocking at all. Right. It's kind of a a, um, a reaction against the whole grunge thing and, oh, the, yeah. and the whole Limp biscuit thing the or whatever. Metal. Now you listen to these bands that have internalized that because now that's decades old. And none of these bands that cover the Meat Puppets ever attack it from like the level of like the rock and groove that we bring to it, that I always try to bring to it. It's always so freaking soft. Yeah, you're totally right. And I think people know how to approach that. Yeah. It's just not in the in their DNA anymore. Yeah. So I have to give it a break. You know, when I first started listening to these things, I was like, well, man, these guys don't rock. And then I realized rock's not a thing anymore, but I still can't hear it. I'm, you know, I'm too old. It's, it, what I hear is the rock. So when I hear solo interpretations. If I had to lose my if I had a touch feeling, I would lose my oh, where I do. Cha-ching! I smell money! It's always some, like, 20-year-old girl with an acoustic guitar playing Oh Me. Lots of tats. Yeah. You know, I've seen some really cool stuff. I saw this uh, thing called John Stickley Trio, and they were doing um, 
Oh no, I can't remember. I think they were doing Up on the Sun actually. And it was like, it was bluegrassy. Yeah. It was beautiful. But there's also some goofy thing with people doing coming down this bluegrass, which is like, no, because when you do it like <laughs> that, then it's like. Then well, it's too on the nose. Exactly. And it's like, nah, you kind of like. But it works, obviously. But that's but. the thing about a lot of the young folks that I see it. They're all too on the nose. They're all too interested in categorizing it. You know, the post-internet pastiche reality. It's like everything has got to sound like something else in order to be credible. So they're going to take a Meat Puppet song, which is designed to confound your expectations and then park it in like a bluegrass thing or a emo thing. Doesn't anybody just want to like throw their uh, their pants down around their ankles and play something weird? Some of the bands that we play with uh, approach that. You know who I enjoy was the uh, Micah Nelson, the Particle Kid. There's another guy. Yeah, he he gets down. I, I like that guy, yeah. What I want is somebody who comes up on stage ready to not have it be any one thing or another. Right. And you don't see that very often. No. And that's why I always push it to be like, let's get on stage with no preconceptions, without a net. What an awful idea. <laughs> Nobody will want that. <laughs> but to me, that's what, what makes it interesting. Anyway... I don't like to do the social media as much. What the band used to do to promote themselves was do art. And that was what differentiated us. And it still is because our comics and our art have still carried us quite we well. We make new comics. You and I actually did collaborate on a comic once, so you've forgotten it. Because we were going to use the comic formats to promote Too High to Die before it decided to just use Cobain and Soul Asylum. To <laughs> I remember coming over to uh, you guys' house and sitting around with you and Kurt, and uh, you just kept riffing on these uh, goofy ideas. God, I do remember that kind of. And I took it all down, and I wrote it all out and i still have it somewhere i do remember that that's funny wow i wouldn't have otherwise it was like meat puppets save the universe or yeah, some sort of totally shit. i remember that I'll, I'll pull it out and show it to you i uh there was a uh, that that time that roman coppola came around and hung out remember that it was for it was for some magazine or I don't know, maybe it was actually oh yeah yeah yeah, oh, yeah. It was film yes too, but he yes had, but he i that, do remember that there's like stupid eight-year-old nine-year-old me oh yeah being a little rat and it's so funny to see that because it's like I remember just being one of the dudes hanging out, but really, I'm a pesky child. My parents were always pretty awesome about like that. These are the children. They're here, and you all fucking deal with it. You know what we call that, don't you? Your parents gave you agency. <laughs> yes. Boy, have I squandered all that that could have brought me in my adult life, but... Another thing we were fighting with over that time was... Uh... After we did Forbidden Places, the label wasn't happy with it. Of course, you know, they were like going, we'll plug them into country rock. We'll have Dwight Yoakam's producer do it. And, and, you know, Nirvana had happened, which screwed everything up for us. And so they were like, I don't hear the hit. I don't hear a hit. And poor Kurt, he was writing all of these songs. He kept sending demos to the label. Poor bastard. They just wouldn't let us record. They would not greenlight a project. Kurt was, he was kind of frustrated. So he wouldn't stick around very long for rehearsals. We'd play a little bit and then he'd split. This is like 92 mostly. And one time he comes over and Chris and I are like, I think I'm playing guitar or something like that. And Chris is playing the drums and Kurt just kind of comes in and he goes, don't touch my stuff. And he leaves. So you wrote a song called uh, Don't yeah. Touch My Stuff. And so I wrote this like pastiche alternative thing based on the concept of Don't Touch My Stuff and the usual Bostrom fake working class ideals and um, did a demo of it, gave it to Kurt. Yeah, it's pretty funny. He made the mistake of giving it to the fucking label. And, and they are like, And they're like, that's it. That's the song. I was like, well, whatever. And Kurt was just like not into it. It just made him feel worse. And I was just like, this is not really a Meat Puppet song. This doesn't work. And they're like, tough, you have to do it. So we demoed it once. 
And they were like, no, nah, that's not it. We like the original version. It was Bostrom playing out of tune, three chord, you know, four string guitar. And then we did another version of it. And they didn't like that either. We also did another great song called Too High to Die, which has never seen the light of day. There's actually a song called that? Yeah. It's like a hilarious Kurt Punk Rock song. And then um, we did another version of it. Like I did a version that was kind of like the Chili Peppers and they didn't like it. And they finally, they basically said, well, tell you what, obviously you guys are a failure. We never should have signed you. But since we did, we're going to let you record acoustic covers of your old stuff and we'll put it out on one of our subsidiary labels as an EP. And we're like, oh God. And so like Kurt was just like, well, we'll get into the studio. We're going to do whatever we want and we'll, we'll, we'll show them what we got. And, uh, it worked. They greenlit the project, and we started recording. They also heard Backwater, and they thought that was pretty good, Wasn't too. Wasn't it different, though, first? Wasn't it, like, slower? Or what? Backwater? Backwater? Backwater originally did not have that, hey, I'm blind, and it was keyboard-driven. He also submitted that as a demo, and then the label pissed him off. No, our manager pissed him off by saying, this one sounds radio-ready. <laughs> and that was the problem. So we had, like, the label... And then we had our management, and increasingly it felt like management was on the side of the label and was not working to get us what we wanted. And we right. would start to feel like jerks, right? It's like, well, you know, we're just out here like trying to make songs. And we had like um, our label rep, who was our handler, Lori, who was always coming out throwing shade on us. At least it felt that way. We're trying to make it so that Mr. Big will let you guys in, but you guys aren't helping us out any. It was frustrating. Anyway, we did the Too High to Die album, and then our label head comes in going, well, I don't hear, don't touch my stuff. And I think Kurt had been asleep at the time, and Chris is like, oh, yeah, we did it for sure. We did it. No problem. And then Kurt wakes up and goes, why did you tell him that? We're not doing that song. And um, we did the whole record, and they were like, screw you guys. We're not releasing it. They actually hired another producer from England, gave us like $15,000 to go in and record this fucking Don't Touch My Stuff song again. Again, it was rejected because it just kept getting worse and worse and worse because it's just, it's like one of those Bostrom comedy things. It's not, it's certainly not a Meat Puppet song. I remember even at the time once, Kurt having a discussion with someone. Probably me. He was airing his grievances. Oh, we used to commiserate about it because he didn't like it. No. So anyway, they realized, oh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have Mr. Popular... Um, uh, Jordan. Jordan, Dave Jordan. The guy um, that had done um, Alice in Chains. He mixed Backwater for us, and then they were able to like call in their favors and put Backwater over. I, uh, I like some of his mixing from that era. He did some of the albums that I actually find like the guitars sound good and stuff like that. The other part of that record, of course, was like they got Leary to produce yeah. it, and Leary was able to get them to agree. I mean, it really had a lot to do with Paul. But anyway, I was thinking about it. And, you know, the Don't Touch My Stuff saga is always hilarious because it's like this stupid Boston song that the label liked because they didn't understand that it was a joke. And we did five versions of it. And it suddenly hit me. Oh, I know what we needed to do to make them accept it. We should have started it by going down, 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 If we had completely stolen the teen spirit arrangement, that was what they were looking for. Oh, yes. And it never even occurred to me that they were that soullessly hackish. I was just trying to like make the song the best I could. What a mistake. <laughs> anyway, um, the Meat Puppets, we would do um, band art on the cover. Now the expectation is more tech and cruddier shit. <laughs> I just see smudges and drips and drabs of color and everything. 
I still like to do like our last release, the 10 inch, just got this drawing that Kurt did on his phone with his finger. Total bullshit. It was great. Very simple. I, I like that style. You know, what ended up being really cool, though, was the album art for that last album. Sam Hunley has got a great uh, style. And he, and he did a really good job. Like, the cover is awesome. All the little caricatures. The caricatures. That could, are... that could be stupid, and it wasn't at all. It was very far from it. It was fucking cool because they're really good. Sam was a, a, a real fortuitous thing. My idea for the last record was I actually brought my iPad in. I was like, here, draw something. And that back cover is just some stupid little doodle that Kurt did in 30 seconds. No, like five seconds. And getting that kind of raw stuff from him is what's so exciting. And the Meat Puppets 2 one is the same thing. It took him like 10 seconds to do, right? He has that up in his house, right? Yeah. The tiny little painting. The actual painting itself in real life is beautiful. Yeah. The cover doesn't do justice to it at all. Not at all. The colors the are co brighter the co on yeah, it. Yeah, the colors are different. The texture, like, the cover is still cool, but that's a gorgeous little painting. The texture is like he took big globs of paint and, and smashed them on there so that it stands out a good quarter inch from the canvas. And it's really small, so the paint strokes are really, really pronounced on them. But yeah, uh, Chris still sells his art. Kurt doesn't paint anymore. No one cares about my art. Most of the, the art that I do nowadays is to lighten the mood when we're on the road. Eudaimonia. It can be defined as a feeling of fulfillment derived from the pursuit of well-reasoned action in service of one's potential. Or something like that. Better to let the music do the explaining. Oh, I forgot. Music never explains. Recorded live over a few days in June 2023, Best Behavior is a collection of seven tracks improvised by Chris, Derek, Elmo, and Ron of the Meat Puppets. The piano-driven instrumental selections touch on free jazz, psychedelic jam, funk, fusion, prog, ambient, and the stylings that are uniquely their own sound. Best Behavior by the Eudaimonics is now available on Bandcamp. All proceeds go towards us being able to continue making music to share with a lot of you. Head on over to bostwood.bandcamp.com and see what you think. We hope you dig what you hear. I got into comics in 1972 when I discovered Jack Kirby comics, and I actually got to meet Jack Kirby in 1974, and I still have his autograph. Ooh. And we went, to, we were in San Diego for the summer, and they always have the comic convention there. And um, for my birthday, my stepfather took me to the convention, and then I heard a couple of hippies going, Look, it's Jack Ooh. Kirby. And my stepfather's like, Derek, he's the one of the men you admire, is it not? And I was like, oh my God, no, please. So he marched me up to Jack Kirby, goes, Mr. Kirby, my son is a big fan of yours. <laughs> and I was so fucking humiliated. It's awesome. One of the men you admire, is it not? And I was like, oh my God, no. These things that I had bought. Jack Kirby goes, Mr. Kirby, my son is a big fan of yours. And, uh, I, went with my <laughs> I was friends. so fucking I didn't humiliated. I buy or read comic books. Yeah. But they wanted to go. And uh, it was... Uh, Todd McFarlane, it was like oh, a yeah. height of Spawn, right? Yep. And I actually had some early Spawn comics randomly that I got my hands on, and I had him sign those. I've lost them since. Oh, dear. I know. But I also, fuck, what was that called? Uh, some some other comics with the people that did like uh, the Evil Ernie comics. Yeah. Yeah. So I got their signatures too, and I had all that crap. And I remember girls dressed up like. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Cosplay. Yeah. You know, mind you, I'm 12, right? You were 12? Yeah. Oh. I saw some woman's pubic hair. On the sales floor? Because her, her cosplay. Oh, yeah, her cosplay girls slipped. dressed up. Like, I didn't cosplay. Yeah. You know, mind you, I'm 12. Spawn had cool stuff. Todd McFarlane's from here, too. Is it yeah. On the sales floor? Because her, her cosplay. Oh, yeah, her cosplay slipped. Because he would do the big, I ridiculous, like... Todd McFarlane's working for Marvel. Right. Because he was bringing too much to the table and was being treated like, uh, you know, work for hire shit. So him and a few of his other buddies- Started their own, They right? started Image, Image, which is the only company working for Marvel. Right. Because he was bringing too much to the table, 
and was being treated like, uh, you know, work for higher shit. So him and buttload off of like the toys, toys, the toys were cool. Yeah. They looked good. Yeah. And I remember I had a spawn toy too. He's actually, he's not from here. He's from Canada, but he moved, well, he moved here. here. Yeah. No, I watched the whole thing letter. about him. He's but little... did they mention Jim Lee in it? Because Jim yeah. Lee was his partner. Oh yeah. Jim's coming to the comic convention in this summer here in Arizona. Oh la la. So many people. Well, he moved event. here. Yeah. I, guess no, I watched the, the whole Phoenix thing about him. July, he's an interesting dude. That... Did they mention Jim Lee? in? we went yeah. to one, oh, one yeah. of those comic convention in this summer here in Arizona. Oh la la. Some coworker of my wife's, her daughter is a manga artist, so she had a little table, so we went. Right. She met uh, Don Rosa. He was like the Uncle Scrooge artist of the time. Coworker of my wife's, her daughter is a comic book artist, but it's one of the... Right. She met Massive, and he was the Uncle Scrooge artist of the... T Don Rosa was just standing there happy to meet people, but comic book artists but it's one of those deals where he's massive and it's like well you know if you pay give me ten dollars i'll give you a signature no not even for jack Kirk. Nah, happy to I'm meet people but, you know, if nothing else these famous people they're always surrounded by fanboy creeps oh, and get or worse chicks who are signature no not even for jack kirby right. right now i've been reading if nothing else these famous people grade z horror comics from the 50s oh, yeah after world war ii because that was when a might makes right, and we right. believe strong humans should should beat other people up. Right, right. Scoff, grade Z, and, and then West. After World War II, and crime comics became popular, and that strong humans should should suddenly right, right. Superheroes stopped being popular, and, and then westerns became popular. These superhero crime kind of comics down their throats, and now they're reading crime comics. All these dudes to find ways to commit crimes to get your money and as ostensibly crime does not propaganda comics down their throats right and now they're reading right, crime right. comics about how great it is to anti-establishment and very gory because it'd always be like ha, 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 i killed you ha, 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 die you <laughs> asshole and then of course right right horror comics became popular anti-establishment and very gory because it'd always be like ha, 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 i killed you ha, 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 die you <laughs> asshole and then of course horror comics became popular and then it became horrific but what you see is you get these comics that start out as romance comics get a new permit and right, spend mean, yeah. all this money so i was reading this one crime comic which starts with like you double cross me so i'm gonna gouge your eyes out with a broken bottle on the get a new permit and right, spend mean, yeah. all this money so i was reading this one crime comic which starts with like you double and then finally <laughs> the last one is this dude he's shoving a woman's corpse down a manhole cover but he's beheaded her and he's trying to shove him down a manhole cover but the have caught him and he's being illuminated is this dude he's shoving a woman's corpse down a manhole cover but he's beheaded her and he's trying to shove him down a manhole cover the have caught him and he's being a <laughs> next issue they went out of business because right. it's just so fucking gory it's my favorite shit yes the drawings inside are so her headless body and her the only reason we're having it here is to give children nightmares like there's one it's my favorite shit yes the drawings inside are so crude and the stories are so the only reason we're having it here is to give children nightmares <laughs> like there's one comic about this horrific snake that comes out of a guy's eye 
and there's all these drawings of them, and we're saved 12 when these comics were coming out. Oh, yeah, man. VCRs were around by the time. Yeah, I, you I could watch them a whole different fucking. You could, you could watch your parents' as shit porn. <laughs> and we're saved 12. Cause a huge backlash, and suddenly distributors Oh, yeah, were, man. Like, VCRs were around by the time. Unopened saying, yeah, we're not selling this whole stuff anymore. Fucking... And there were like government um, inquiries into it. And, <laughs> but obviously, it caused a huge backlash, and suddenly distributors were like right. returning these comics unopened saying, uh -oh. yeah, we're not selling this stuff anymore. And there were like government um, inquiries into it. Yes. You can't do it anymore. When I was a teenager, I remember that. So like, all these people lost their jobs. The most and censorship. You know, Left-wing censorship. Kind of like the censorship we have now. Grandpa you can't do it still. anymore. I don't even remember the premise. I remember there's this comic they call it Schizo. The most hateful shit ever. There's this one, it's just like a little short panel called Grandpa Needs Dildos. I don't even remember the premise. That leads but to juvenile delinquency. Like a photo of a lot of that stuff, you know, when you were like, a kid, people would print this stuff out. Well, pre-internet stuff was... Now you can like find porn on daddy. the internet just, if you're two, and you can also... A lot of that stuff, you know, when you were a kid, because um, it's no longer viable to print it out and sell well, it on paper. Right. But now you can find porn on the telling the story and you can upbringing. It's fine. And some of it's because it's supposed to be supportive rather than burn it all down nihilistic cartoons <laughs> telling the enjoying and upbringing. And you know, it's and I'm fine. And some of it's to, uh, really good. But it's supposed to be supportive rather than where she worked at Impact. Yep. And you can have it all, all <laughs> enjoying. Cool magazines, and uh, right? it's just a different thing. You know what I'm that I to uh, tapes like that would get dubbed and passed around all over like yep. show where she worked at Impact. Yep. Or any and of you that can have sort all of alternative stuff. press stuff. Cool magazines, right? The cool fuck mix. The weird shit like the tapes way cooler than anything else that I was getting like, fed yep. as a kid, right? The Simpsons or any of that sort of stuff. And I got to see so much of that. Cindy Lauper had a few good songs. Cool. <laughs> but then you pull back a few more layers of the onion and you realize that, that there are videotapes on right? the top shelves of your parents' closet. <laughs> Another thing that I was out. reading about recently was like in, in the <laughs> like show a few more layers of adult oh, yeah. content that there are the Red Shoe Diaries closet. Dude, Red Shoe Another Diaries, you're talking I was about, reading about my preteen, like in, in the 90s, formative like masturbatory. Showtime used to be a, yep. Like, we're talking, because when we moved Shows into like the, the Red Shoe Diaries. Dude, Red Shoe Diaries, you're talking about my preteen, formative masturbatory. Oh, shit, real? Yep. Like, we're talking, because when we moved into the how, big house in Mesa, when I was 12, you know, I had my own TV, teenage hands on real pornography. Right. I remember the name Red Shoe Diaries. I never watched cable. it. I oh, certainly shit, did not sex, watch television Red in the Shoe 90s. Totally fake soft porn. Yeah. It was supposed to be about the exploration. Teenage hands on real pornography. Right. I remember the point I want to make about all this. You can't find that show anymore. In the 90s, that was totally considered. Totally fake soft porn. In the new, supposed to be a Beverly Hills 90210. I saw Those movies. two teenagers. But here's the point I want to make right. about all this. Right. You can't find that right. show anymore. Now you can't even see the Red Shoe Diaries. Frank in the new it's a damn Beverly shame. Hills 90210. Those two teenagers on the show, the first right. season. They, You're right. He did. was the now you can't even see the Red Shoe Diaries. It's not available. It's a damn shame. Like I never There's saw this one where this lady she's writing someone like it's a a diary maybe. No, she's like a pen pal that she doesn't know, and it's yeah. this guy says that like he's writing from this prison. Yeah. So she, there was this one where this lady. She's writing, having sex, a diary, maybe, and a pen pal that she doesn't know, and yeah. sends her this letter.
he's gonna come visit her because yeah. he won't be at the prison. So she gets terrified. Turns out he's the hard and he's handsome. And he comes to her house and <laughs> sends her this. Our boobs shown. He's gonna come visit her because he won't be at the prison. So she gets terrified. Turns out he's stupid. I was like, this is what people. She twist their fucking knob like. <laughs> I had a, our boobs around that there time. And he used to send me videotapes of public access age, like, in New York. I'm sure you've seen some of this stuff. Stupid. Al Goldstein's like, screw TV show, like, Robin Bird. I had a friend who lived in New York around that time, and he used right, to send right. me videotapes of public access. Certain pro censorship people. Like, Al Goldstein's screw TV show, Robin Bird, who used to have like to scramble it. This is the First Amendment shit. So right, I mean, right. all this crazy stuff. Certain, you know, pro censorship people like this. Goldstein is a communist, fascist Nazi, right. or whatever they call people they want to censor nowadays. <laughs> Another guy um, who I really keyed into, James Elroy. Ooh, why like, do I know that? No, name? you remember the movie is a communist. Yeah. He's a guy who wrote books exploring the dark underbelly of <laughs> LA police corruption. All right, okay, okay. James Elroy. So the streams. Ooh, why do I that know that name? The Kennedy assassination and Watergate. Yeah, he's he also did exploring the dark underbelly Ooh, of what? la police he came up right, okay, as a okay. real missile the streams that led shortly after his parents were divorced and his father was like a bottom feeder who used to be a hanger on for uh rita hayworth <laughs> he, he wound becoming a drunk for a while he was a not shortly Ooh. he was so angry. his father was like a bottom feeder who used to be a hanger on for uh rita hayworth and stuff like that <laughs> just he wound up becoming a drunk for a while. He was a not homeless. This went on 10, 15 years until he finally managed to pull himself out of it. Became a writer of the most hard-boiled Just somebody who really... We were on tour with yes. a band, a homeless, and this went on 10, 15 years until he finally... And she gave me one of his books, which is of the most hard-boiled fiction. I saw an article in... We were on... Kim Gordon wrote 11th Dream Day, and I began to read his stuff. And she gave me, but either way, he's another guy who a lot of people couldn't stand his work because he would tell stories about the way the Kim Gordon wrote about homophobe race and read his stuff. And I still well, follow it, but either way, about yeah. because the cops, a lot of people I know couldn't stand his work because he never. would tell stories about the way the cops were and he would use their homophobic, <laughs> Every once racist, in a while, they give me a slang. What cops are he talking about? Yeah. Because the cops... I know about the cops that never. I have sex with are really nice fellas. Um, <laughs> Every once in a while, they give me a choice. <laughs>